0: Welcome Husky Nation to this week's episode of Dog Thoughts. I'm your host Kayla Olin with me, you know him. He's with Sports Illustrated's Husky Maven channel as well. It's Mike Martin and you probably also recognize who you're with. We have a very, very special guest. We've had him on once before to kind of talk about how he really graded Washington's DBs, quarterbacks, just a game really. It's Cam Miller. He is is absolutely outstanding. If you weren't following him with Pro Football Focus, you were missing out, but that's why we have him on now. Cam, thanks so much for coming on Dog Thoughts. And like I mentioned, I followed your work since Pro Football Focus. And the thing that I've really always appreciated about you is that you take all the emotion out of it, which is something I think a lot of people in the media and fans struggle to do you don't relay what someone else said, you really have your own thoughts, you break down, you watch every single snap of almost every single game, you compile your own data points and then rate them accordingly. And as you said, it is a list of how each player should fare solely in college, based on their skills that they've shown at the collegiate level, or in some cases, all the way back in high school, that kind of days. Can you explain a little bit more of how you really break everything down and get to your data and your results that you do?
1: Yeah, it's a long, arduous journey, but one that I thoroughly, truly enjoy. And, you know, it's I do take emotion out of it. It's tough because I advocate for a lot of athletes as well. They need a voice and a platform. I use mine. Um, So it's it's difficult sometimes. And I, I often don't make friends, as you will, ranking 130 quarterbacks. You get, you know, not just the quarterbacks, you get the families that get mad at you. You get the athletic directors, the coaching staffs that recruited these kids. Uh, So it's, you don't make as many friends as you would think from ranking a system, but yeah, it's, you, you watch all the skills that they've put into for a a quarterback ranking system, like we have here, everything that goes into quarterbacking, it's not just point A to point B with the throw. It's not just the box score. It's, you have to look at everything and, you know, I'll get into Dylan Morris in a little bit uh, in that regard and some box score numbers that I thought were even a little janky for him. So that's where it is. You look at it and you have to look at it throw by throw game by game. And even if there's play fakes, he's handing out that are better than everybody else. You have to truly look at everything that a quarterback does from how they rally up their team, from how they act off the season, in my opinion. It, it all goes into this one ranking system. So it's checking a motion of the door was key. I had to do that right before I even started collecting any data points to, uh, to make sure that I got that out of there. But yeah, it's um, it's a long, arduous, about a two month journey, and that doesn't even also account for the the amount of football that I watch in season either. So it's a long process.
0: I have to ask because I'm sure being Switzerland didn't come very easy I would I would guess how hard was it to kind of really separate yourself from maybe FSU and then did you ever get any hate from FSU fans for removing your emotion I have to ask for some people who don't know because it's a fun little tidbit
1: I had I have not heard from many FSU fans. I think what I did, what I said, was warranted. And I think if you saw Jordan Travis throw the football last year, you realize he's not the best thrower. And also, it's probably the biggest McKenzie Milton fan that didn't actually go to UCF. I'm gonna, my heart will be beating probably 170, 180 beats a minute when he takes the field because of how bad that knee injury was. So, and how bad FSU's offensive line has been. I really don't. I'm very nervous to watch Mackenzie Milton play football. So if he's healthy and if he's fine, I do see FSU rocketing up. So yeah, if I, if an 82nd ranking and all of my FSU press passes for my days covering the, the Seminoles, go to show you that I can check emotion out of the door or at the door. I, I, I think I proved it there with the FSU ranking.
0: I really had to set that up because that just really solidifies and kind of reassures Husky fans that you did not have any emotion in this. And it is very fair based on all of your data. Speaking of, you put Dylan Morris at the trailing end of that bell curve of college quarterbacks, with him being 94th out of 130 quarterbacks, ninth in the Pac 12 Conference. Is this rating more of an overall rating simply as a passer? or how extending plays, making plays with their legs, play breakdown, stuff like that factor into your rating. Go ahead and kind of talk about how you got from A to B with maybe not really just Dillon Morris alone, but just in general, how all that came about.
1: You have to start with, you have to start somewhere. And so what I did is I started with all the statistics. And like I said, there's box scores numbers that you look at differently. And so I don't look at it as a box score as a whole, as a whole season, especially last year. Last year's COVID-inflicted season was completely different. And obviously you had two. Every game has an asterisk, especially in the Pac-12, having covered the Pac-12 extremely close last year. So every every game and obviously every season. So I went back to 2019 for most of the, most of the players that we had stats in 2019, and you sort of do a lump sum. But then I look at it at the game level. And so you look at the games that they had and how much of the yardage for quarterbacks were they – how much of it was, you know, after the catch from some of their receivers? How much of it was to running backs? How much of it was to one-star receivers? So you sort of break it down from that little bit of – the minutia of the game level as well so that's where that started and then it goes to more you got to watch the film you got to watch the tape I, I'm never going to put out a ranking system and not watch film on those players it was a little bit tough getting a getting some Garrett Desiro from UMass highlights was pretty difficult not gonna lie uh, then you see some school that didn't play last year that I don't have tape on that I had to go search the interwebs the internet for uh, to find some of those throws so yeah, it's, it's everything. It's arm strength, quarterback intangibles, the ability to to go off of your first read to your second read, the play under pressure, keeping the ball out of harm's way. It's everything that goes into a quarterback. So it wasn't just box score numbers. It wasn't just stand tall in the pocket and sling it downfield to a star receiver either. There was everything that went into that, I would into love the entire quarterbacking.
2: I would love to see your spreadsheet for every single one of those items. I I mean, you had to have like 50 columns.
1: I don't have them handy either. And I'm old school. I have my old composition notebooks, one per team. And I have a wall of 130 of them in my closet that each year they get a different one. And so I'm starting to build up quite, a, quite an image bank here or a composition notebook. And then I, I take those notebooks and I throw them into a data point or into a spreadsheet as well after, you know, it's it's a bunch of chicken scratch. My wife can't even read it, but I can. I see those pluses and I see those negatives. and So then I go back and I look at those for this sort of list as well. So yeah, my composition, I should take a picture of those and then sort of show off what I've got there
0: someone's going to find those like 200 years from now. And they're going to be like, what is this? Magic? <laughs> it's it's
1: either going to be hanging. It's going to be hanging in the Louvre. It's going to be hanging in the Louvre or the Franklin County fairground or the Franklin Franklin County, uh, you know, dump it one day here soon. Either one, one of the two, there's <laughs> it's no, no, the
0: no, no. Uh, like, there we go. But they have on something <laughs>
1: hanging in the Louvre, hanging in the Smithsonian. I'm fine with that.
0: Uh, back to Dylan Morris, because that was such a great question, Mike. And you talked about everything that it includes. And I think something maybe Husky fans are kind of curious about when they look at this, because it might've been a little bit of a shock when people find out where he was rated, just based off of, like you said, COVID's hard, four games only not much to really go off of for a very first time starting quarterback, getting his very first reps at a college game. But a lot of fans will kind of touch on. He only had one sack last season, right? Are you kind of including that in your offensive line breakdown? Or how much does that really play into your outlook on that? Because I think that would be a Husky fan's biggest argument.
1: Yeah, there's sacks go into it a little bit, but I think it's more about the pocket presence from a quarterback standpoint. A lot of sacks too, you know, I look at sacks as not necessarily on the offensive line for most parts. If you get to a play where it's past five seconds and this ball hasn't come out, that's on the quarterback at that point, or the receivers for not being able to separate. So, you know, sacks also are one of those things you have to, you can't look on the box score and say, oh, a defensive end had five sacks in a game. That must mean the tackles are terrible or things of that nature. So there's, there's difference. I always use the key. There was a Miami of Ohio different or linebacker that had five sacks in the game back in 2019. His literal job was to spy the Akron quarterback and he had five sacks in the game, but each sack probably averaged about 10 seconds after the snap of the ball. So there's That's not an actual sack. That's just the quarterback not throwing the ball. So there's, you know, it's a little different nature to sacks, but yeah, you know, I not allowing a sack is on the offensive line, not getting yourself into a sack is on the quarterback. And so, yeah, Morris has that sort of ability to either get rid of the ball quickly and live and play another down Uh, the anti Brett Favre, you can call that the non gunslinger. Nature to his game is what I would call it as well. So, yeah, there's it goes into it, but I would say sacks not necessarily as big on the quarterback itself, unless he's getting himself into too many unnecessary ones.
0: I really like that comparison. And then to kind of pull in basically the entire quarterback room for Washington right now, you mentioned having to go and find some film on the interweb, you know, thank gosh for YouTube and have it all that for you. And then you also, we also kind of touched on Dylan Morris finally getting that starting job. So he was alluded to by you as the starter for Washington. I think that might even kind of be a safe bet and how he's also going to have other people kind of right on his tail trying to take that starting spot away from him with newcomers, Sam Heward, true freshman, Patrick O'Brien, he's a transfer. And with those four games to go on, how much did you really look at high school tape from Sam Heward or transfer tape from Patrick O'Brien? I know you had Michigan's uh, starting quarterback who we're gonna guess is about Rudy we and McNamara and then that five star quarterback coming in as well. You have both of them ranked, but kind of where Sam Heward, maybe Patrick O'Brien fall on your list as well.
1: Yeah, O'Brien, I hate the term and I, but I it it just sort of works. There's a there's a ceiling and a floor. We know what Patrick O'Brien's ceiling is and I think Sam Heward sort of hits that floor that O'Brien has. O'Brien's never really been able to elevate players around him a lot of his success at Colorado State was yards after the catch or manufactured by the receivers Dante Wright being number one of them um, out there so I think Heward is probably next in line I probably can't be wrong you, you don't get a big gun big arm like that a big gun like that uh gunslinger is my opinion as well if you're throwing double digit interceptions in high school you're slinging that ball and you don't care what's happening you're living playing on their down and if you're still winning the majority of your games as well that's another thing so I think Heward sort of gives them the lower floor of the two newcomers I guess is the best way to put it O'Brien being we know what I think he can reach we don't know what heward can reach so with that bloodline and the high school tape and all of the things you're going to be able to watch of, of heward you don't it seems like players like him don't come along very often I love the accuracy that he showed obviously you can't really go watch all full high school games so you can only see the highlights that they showcase their huddles or their Twitters or what you know the recruiting sites are going to pull out for me for me to be able to watch at this point so I go with what I saw and what I saw was, I mean, a pretty un- raw arm, but a pretty untapped potential in Heward. So I think that it's only a matter of time based on what he does well or what we saw does well versus what Dylan Morris showed us this past year.
0: I definitely want to talk a little bit more about Sam Heard because like you mentioned, you don't see a lot of them come around very often and that bloodline with Washington, definitely something I want to touch on, but kind of one more wrapping up question in terms of overall quarterback and how they kind of are rated and everything we also talked about receivers and ones that just kind of gunsling and interceptions and find their receivers early how much does receiver talent factor into your rating based off of you know does a school have a lot of depth at the receiver position do they not are they basically a kind of rushing offense where does that all fall in
1: it falls into when you look at how the yards are put on and if you look at there was there was yardage or touchdowns or scores left on the table there's a couple of examples max duggan from tcu guy has an incredible arm amazing arm talent great understanding of what the defense is going to do to him one of my favorite throws from 2019 splits a dropping zone corner and a closing safety perfectly it's dropped it's a surefire first down it leads to a punt tommy devito at syracuse had clemson beat through dropped a perfect ball into the end zone. It's dropped by his receiver, a wide open receiver, but perfectly separates the two safeties that are closing on him and, and deep covers. Dropped. Both of those two would have changed the game and the outcome of most likely the outcome of, of those said games. So I look at drops more. Then I look at overall receiving talent because Mac Jones, I think proved to us last year. And so did Tua the year prior that you could have four first round picks basically, and you still got to be able to help them elevate their games. So the quarterback is always going to be able to elevate the receivers no matter how good they are, and they're only going to be prone to uh, to a lot of it uh, being left on the table, so to speak. Then there's the, the other chance, like I mentioned with O'Brien, too, where a lot of it was manufactured after the catch. He was getting the ball to the short area of the field. A guy like Dante Wright was taking it then, averaging 12 yards a catch, but he was not seeing the ball anywhere, you know, maybe just at the line of scrimmage, so 12 of those yards of those 12 he was averaging was for Dante right? not O'Brien type in that in that case so there's those are a little bit more rare in college football some of those pop passes that we call passes that are actually just glorified handoffs those I look at you know the Jared Dagey at West Virginia he does a lot of those as well so there's a um, so many levels of nuance so many layers to unpack of it all that it's uh it just it gets me riled up and I'm I can't <laughs> wait I can't believe I did it and I can't wait for the season to unfold so I can do it again.
0: Yeah, I see your blood boiling from here. Yeah. So, <laughs> but a lot of Washington's receivers seemed like they kind of had the dropsies within the last couple seasons. One, somebody could even argue when Jacob Eason was there that he was putting too much on the ball. Do you take the kind of how do you evaluate if a receiver drops it or if a quarterback puts? too much on it kind of makes the ball almost uncatchable because some people say if it touches the receiver's hands that should be caught but then there's there's cases that can be argued for everything mike and i am pretty sure have argued about this until we were blue in the face so i have to ask
1: that's the old lee corso from the ncaa video game series if you get your hands on it you gotta catch it or it's the i think it's like it's college football or football analysts chicken or the egg which came first it's who's more at fault a receiver for not catching it if he tipped it or should a quarterback always put it on his hands is there a certain level of ball strength is there enough on the ball that the receiver is expecting it i think that more more so is falls on the receiver for the the velocity of the throw if you're changing quarterbacks otherwise you should know what a quarterback's throwing to you um and so i there you can probably put 10 drops or 10 questionable drops in front of 10 different analysts and get a hundred different answers just the same so it's difficult I think you got to go with what I've been learned what I trained and what I learned and my little brother was a receiver at the collegiate level as well so I sort of know what is a drop and I will outside on the quarterback being at fault more so than I think I will the receiver because of that because I I know what goes into being a receiver so yeah I- it's-, it's difficult I- it-, it weighs in heavily but you, you got to look at it too you got I-, I can't go look at every drop if I can't I would if I could but I can't quite do that doing these systems so yeah it's there's some that were left on the table and there were some that others that probably are a little iffy for drops.
2: Thank you for agreeing with me, Cam.
0: I was just going to say that's the sibling rivalry, him taking the quarterback side over receiver side, just for his brother's reason. I'm totally kidding, but it's,
1: it's, it's fun. We keep, we keep it in the family. We have some fun. I, I grew up, we, we all grew up Bucs fans, but my older brother loved the Cowboys at the time. So I naturally in the nineties, Hated the Cowboys and loved the Steelers because that was a rivalry. So it just sort of works out in that regard. We, it's at the end of the day, we'll have dinner together and it's all fine. So
0: <laughs> it's a love-hate relationship, honestly. Yeah,
1: naturally, it's football, really.
0: Exactly. Back, back to kind of Hue and everything like that. I know I kind of had a couple more questions about him. And from what you saw with Sam out at it, Kennedy Catholic, do you think that he could compete and succeed at the collegiate level coming in right away? Or how long until he really takes over? Like, is that just a matter of time, in your opinion? Or where does, where does he fall on the overall scale, not just kind of being a backup at Washington?
1: I, talking Sam Heward, I think that we're looking at a kid that had Morris had 12 or 13 games of a regular normal regular season last year and given us more to go off of and more to prove. It's going to come, obviously, down to a lot of camp. I know Jimmy Lakin, correct me if I'm wrong, but said he didn't want to rush Heward playing. I think that's the PC head coach answer uh, that states I'm going to let this kid get his feet wet. And if he's taking control, he's taking control because you need a player in college football at quarterback that can elevate the players and the skills around him. I don't know if Dylan Morris did that last year. And so that's ultimately what I, what I was able to glean off of four games. I'm not there throughout the entire season, throughout the entire off season. And so you look at it, like it didn't hurt Trevor Lawrence to come in and, Beat out a breaker or a, 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 an incumbent starter from Kelly Bryant Kelly Bryant at Trevor or at Clemson when Trevor Lawrence did that. So I think we're. I'm not going to compare Sam Huard to Trevor Lawrence because generational talents come along every generation. Feels like we have a new generational talent every year. So I think we need to come up with a new term, the generational talent. But I do think that there's a a level of you don't get a consensus five star rating. You don't you don't have that bloodline and that affiliate with that family and for nothing. I mean, so I think that there's it's just a matter of time. And then I think honestly. It'd be bumps in the road but i think they'd be far and few between if he were is good enough to take the role in jimmy lake size
0: i feel like your just off season and in season job is now to find different kind of ways to go about this generational talent Stop. and the floor and the ceiling <laughs> because yeah. i see that i see those wheels turning in there when you're talking about those and a couple more questions before we really get mike involved now because i know he has a long list of questions And I just like to talk first. So (laughs) that's where all these are coming from. But wrapping up kind of POB's time at Colorado State, can you project what a final campaign would maybe look like as a senior for him in Washington in this really tough quarterback room?
1: It would be a campaign in which he has to constantly beat out other two younger kids for uh, back to the proverbial ceiling with a higher ceiling than him. I think you have a kid or, you know, they're still kids. You have a kid in Patrick O'Brien who, isn't going to do a whole lot of things wrong. And I think that's, that's probably what he has going for him now, whether he does a lot of things, right. That's a difference. That's the other story or the other end of that spectrum. So super unique. I, I can't project much because I honestly don't think it's on it. It's going to even happen. So Patrick O'Brien is a, is a probably a great backup to have, because again, you know, you might not have to change the offense either with him. Uh, so either, whoever's getting the call or whoever's winning the job, if it's not O'Brien, and he, you do have to have him. You're not going to have to change the offense. We've seen, that workout out for other programs in the past, Clemson just last year. Lawrence goes out, Uolungalele comes in. They didn't have to change the offense because they're very similar soul sets or can mimic each other. So I think that's what Patrick O'Brien has going for him with that experience.
0: I think fans were pretty happy to see Trevor Lawrence go down. Like, okay, Clemson's now being able. And then they saw his backup come in. They're like, oh, okay, so you're there for a few more years. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs>
0: You noted Morris doing a great job with ball security. And we used to talk about turnover worth plays. Are you still weighing that as heavily in this current ranking? Again, all of these rankings, and all these questions kind of go back to COVID and so many teams getting little and more gains and so on and so forth. So
1: you look at. So I, what I did is, I, if memory serves, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I might have looked at the box score so I at least know that one. There was a three interception game in his, in his season last year after throwing zero. One of those was a Hail Mary heave at the end of the half. That, that in my opinion, you know what you're doing. You're throwing the ball as far as you can. That's not a turnover-worthy really play, in my opinion. So, yes, that box score looks terrible. You have three interceptions, blah, 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 whatever, whatever, whatever that's there was probably one ill-fated throw under pressure where he rushed that to the right side. And it just, it was not good. He threw it up. I think there was only one actual turnover worthy play. It was pretty ugly. The other two, yes, I weigh them heavily because you look at it again, a guy like Zach Wilson from 2019 injured, banged up his shoulder had nine interceptions on the season and only seven touchdowns. Seven of those balls were either dropped by his receiver or literally the receiver fell down on a route interceptions like that. And we all know now the rest of his history with Zach Wilson the accuracy is there. That's what I unfortunately didn't necessarily see the other end of the spectrum with Dylan Morris. The, the good wasn't there to to mitigate how the turnover where he plays didn't necessarily start to add up for him.
0: Which totally makes sense.
1: <laughs> so unfortunately, led yeah. to where the where the ranking was. So <laughs> yeah, unfortunately.
2: And, and that that's the thing that you I, I I'm stunned that um, we pulled out we pulled out Dylan Morris and you're like oh yeah in Utah he threw that. 64-yard interception at the end of the half. That's pretty uh, incredible that you're able to recall that. Uh, But I want to kind of look at at how you have them ranked, the the quarterbacks in the Pac-12 Conference, because you have uh, Colorado's quarterback at 12, Arizona's quarterback battle, 11th in the conference. Nationally, they're behind Akron and Old Dominion. Um, Then you have the Pac-12 North quarterbacks bunched with Stanford's Tanner McKee, Washington's Dylan Morris, 94th nationally. Then OSU, uh, Sam Neuer, um, Anthony Brown from Oregon, Wazoo's entire quarterback room, and then Chase Garber's uh, for Cal. None of those are in, well, Chase Garber's is the 50th in the country. Um, Is there much separation between the number 94 and the number 50 in Chase Garber's? Is there that much of a difference um, in, in their games or in their ceilings?
1: I'd say in their games, there's not much different. Obviously they're very different quarterbacks the, that entire lot and we don't even know what Washington State's going to trot out there. but it's just there's a lot of unknowns, I think, and that's what led me to sort of lead them back there. We know or, and then in the case of Anthony Brown, we know what he is and we know what he's not. and that's where I was sort of I had paused to rank Anthony Brown much higher than where he was. I know he's going to have a decent offensive line in front of him because it's just what they do there now, apparently up in, in Eugene. So yeah, my, my thought there is that Neuer actually too had probably some of the more impressive throws of the season last year. Um, obviously going to a new offense and a new, you know, transferring sort of doesn't help him there in that regard, but that's also goes to show you how much higher he elevated Colorado. They drop in Colorado down under 128 because I just didn't see it in JT shout or Brendan Lewis. Um, I know he got play in the bowl game for Colorado last year and it wasn't that good. And then camp reports said both of them are very inaccurate. So I'm not going to lean uh too much into Colorado there as well. So that's the drop off. Neuer would have had them much higher had he played, but yeah, I, to answer the question, ultimately, I don't see that there's much maybe chase Garbers is the only one that I think is showing us a little bit. If he can stay healthy, he's got the grid in him that I think is a perfect Cal quarterback right now under the new or the current regime and Justin Wilcox. So that's where I'm at. Maybe Garbers is the only one that sort of has elevated himself above, above that whole grouping.
2: All right. Well, now let's say that uh, Sam Hewitt beats out Morris. Based upon Hewitt's high school tape, would you move him up higher in the rankings if he were actually to come in knowing that he has uh, the bloodlines where he has uh, perhaps a more polished deep ball that he can do more things with the ball?
1: I would, I would probably, I would definitely move him up. I would say that because if he's shown enough, you know, I sort of the only, now this is an interesting one, but it's sort of the why I rank Texas A&M situation so low is because you're looking at a Texas A&M team that can probably compete for a national championship this year, but they don't have a quarterback right now. So in my mind, Jimbo Fisher down there should have had his mind made up and should have been going with the guy that's got experience and, you know, a quarterback battle through August and all the way through August up until week zero is not a good thing. Unless, you know, your head coach is saying they're both doing things amazingly, which is ever the case. So if he were beats him and beats him early, then absolutely I'm going to side with, wow, he must have done something very, very good in camp. So I'll side with the coach. And then I'll side with guys like yourself, that if you're seeing things in camp as well and the ball just comes out effortlessly, effortlessly things of those nature, I'll, I'll move them up. But, you know, I, I'm probably a little bit low on DJ Uolunglele and I'm probably a little bit lower on Bryce Young at Alabama even though we've seen them play. I'm not ready to put a true freshman up there that we haven't seen too high just until. I'd rather be wrong in that regard than wrong in the other regard, ranking them too high. All
2: right. Well, PAC, the Pac-12 used to be the conference of quarterbacks. Just so many great quarterbacks have come out, but you only have two quarterbacks in your top 20, one in your top 10, uh, Keaton Slovis and uh, ASU's uh, Jaden Daniels. Um, what has, led to this drop-off is it uh and you can say the clemson quarterbacks name now because i can't um you know is it him going to the east is it other quarterbacks leaving or is it um is it just that they're kind of in a developmental stage right now
1: i think it's everybody's leaving to go east um i i it's probably a bunch of contributing factors uh playing on the national stage and Playing for the hot team works. Uh, You know, back in the 90s, it would have been crazy for West Coast kids to go play for or not to go play for Miami or FSU. And now we're in the same sort of boat where it's crazy if you don't go play for Alabama or Clemson if they've offered you a scholarship. You know, uh, Mariota, the last big name Hawaiian high school quarterback that stayed there. You see it even with Mackenzie Milton, obviously, Tua coming over to Alabama. You know, they've they're keeping going east keeping going East because that's who they're growing up watching at this point. So I think that's probably one of the bigger contributing factors is, you know, when Clay Helton at USC says he's the the biggest thing he wants to do is take back the West. I think that tells you all you need to know. They're losing recruits to the bigger name schools on the East coast. And that's hurting because quarterbacks are probably the biggest position that's leaving.
0: It's shocking how, it's kind of across the board as well with Washington losing kind of, you know, most recently JTT to Ohio state, like you're mentioning, it's not even just quarterbacks that I think West coast is losing. It's, it's a bunch of positions and taking back the West coast might be one of the smartest things. I think Clay hilton said in a while. So yeah. gotta throw. Yeah, it there's a not,
1: a, there's not a lot of them,
0: <laughs> no, that's, exactly.
1: maybe, that's a good one. To
0: be <laughs> it's gonna be thrown. And I have just kind of one question Because you you talked about Ethan Garbers and Mike brought up a great point on kind of your list that you have here, including Ethan Garbers in that. Do you think it might have been a mistake then, if since Ethan Garbers is ranked almost double of what Dylan Morris is, that Washington did let him go, in your honest opinion?
1: Chase Garbers, sorry.
0: Yeah, yes, Ethan Garbers. I'm so sorry, but Ethan Garbers' brother.
1: Yes. So he, correct me if I'm wrong, Ethan Garbers was also a pretty big name recruit. Right. And it's tough. I think if you have to clear room in your quarterback room though, and if you know, you have a, have a shot at a generational talent, like Sam Heward, you kind of have to leave room on your, on your roster. So, you know, it's in this new age of college football where everybody is able to transfer now without penalty I think that'll just become the norm where if you have to free up a spot, you let somebody go and, you know, you say no hard feelings or you give them the the nice rejection that states if you can find better, you know, greener grass, if they think it's greener, you know, grass isn't always greener though, I guess is the best way to put it. But yeah, I'd say it's probably because you got to make some room on rosters there or you got to be able to uphold some promises you're going to make to people.
0: I was just curious, just based on you being one of the ones who don't have emotional ties into how this has all been shaping out for Washington fans, but Going back to Mike pointing out that it was stellar how you remembered the plays and the interceptions that Dylan Morris has. You have a photographic brain. I can already tell (laughs) the Huskies were virtually shut out of that first half of the Stanford and then the Utah game. Utah, they end up pulling back and winning that game after a 21 point deficit, but not against Stanford. And what did you see in Washington that changed offensively in those halves?
1: I would say in the second half, it's just more of quick decision making. The Stanford game specifically, I think honestly, it might have been Morris's best game because he had a little bit of chance to let it fly. He had he had to playing from a little bit of behind here as well. I think when you have to let it fly, and you have to check, you know, at that point, they probably knew they weren't going to play in the Pac-12 game with how COVID was wrecking havoc on them and the conference at that point too. So. I there's the asterisk as well, too, because it's, you know, playing free, playing with nothing to nothing to lose at that point, I think, too sort of helped him added some gunslinger. I, I still didn't see the intangibles that I wanted, though, to rank him too much higher. So, you know, if, if they're if you're playing that full four quarters that well, then maybe, you know, you're looking at some gaudy statistical stat lines. But I think some some decisions were still left on the table, even though it was still probably what I would say is best passing game.
0: And to clarify, because you mentioned, you know, that quick decision making, and then you mentioned being able to sling it downfield and then kind of the, like all the decisions and everything like that, how much of what the Huskies did or didn't do in the first half of say both of those games, or just one specifically, one specifically, do you really put on Morris and kind of lay at his feet and say, you know, this is then on you?
1: Yeah. And so go back to the, the Utah game. They were driving that first drive before he threw the pick under pressure. So, that sets the tone for where the game is going. Whether you want to believe it or not, the the coaching staff may change their their play calling. It may be third and five, and they choose a run because they're not trusting your arm at that point. You know, when you gain four yards and punt away. So it's it, it's tough to say. You know, and look back. Obviously, any coach will tell you the same thing. It's really hard to look back and say we do it differently. But I do think that with that freedom to want to 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 be able to play from behind or not or just sling it, you know, if you have it, if you have it very good and they are very well. Uh, in check. And so that's where I think that that's probably the, it, it's a roundabout answer to say I don't know necessarily to answer the question. So that's where I'd be happy with that. So it's it's tough to project what could ever would have happened in that regard. But I do think we would have seen a little bit more maybe national notoriety for him as well if he was slinging it like he was in those certain quarters.
0: It, it happens. I don't know. I sell for I don't know all the time. I say I don't know all the time. But to kind of really round it out and say Washington has four great quarters and they do play all four quarters to the caliber that we saw Washington playing in that second half against Utah where they can come back and they can gel and work together and fire on all cylinders I know Phil Steele has Washington as being the surprise team of the season for across the country not even just in the Pac-12 but across the country how and what do you think is the high end of Washington if they can play all four quarters? Do you maybe agree with that or you think they still have a ways to go before they actually get back to kind of maybe 2016 Washington?
1: I agree with what Phil says that they'll surprise people because I think when he says that he means that you're not going to see Washington coming because if you're a casual fan. I think if you know anything about Washington, you know how they recruit and you know that the defensive side of the ball is going to put three or four kids in the NFL next year so you know how good that defense should be so you know as long as you're getting plus play from the quarterback you're gonna have a great offensive line a great team overall and a well coached team so I think that unless you're following Washington you don't understand that they're a good team built from the ground up they're a good team and a good coaching staff and so I think that's what he means by surprise team so in that regard I believe Phil Steele is probably very accurate that being said, they have to play all four quarters and you have to be, you have to worry of trap games and you have to worry about those sneaky games uh, that seem winnable going in, uh, but you lose focus or you, you know, get off to sluggish starts. So I think that, you know, the the quarterback battle also needs to be answered well before week one as well, because that's another thing that I don't like getting into camp. I don't like going into game week, not knowing who my quarterback is and I can't be the only one.
0: Well, v- welcome to be in a Washington fan. <laughs> because that's how it, it could be worse these parts here <laughs> it could be
1: worse it could be Mike Leach trotting out QB1 QB1A QB1B on game day itself back in the day when he was still at Washington State so I, I guess it could always be worse right
0: we just need to have you on more I got the USC fires coming you got Wazoo and Mike Leach with the gel Mike I'm sure you got one for Oregon
2: well uh you know I, I got you for about another two minutes Cam um I just want to wrap it up really quick with kind of an overall rating of, of, of Dylan Morris, kind of looking at his entire body of work, his ceiling. Um, Washington's offense with John Donovan is predicated on the run the damn ball to set up the chunk plays. If you had to rate Dylan Morris's arms in term of downfield striking ability um, for those chunk plays, where would you put him on a scale of one to 10?
1: Ten being the strongest, I'd put him right around a five. I mean, you look, you go back to the Utah game where he heaves that ball. I didn't; it hardly made it to the end zone, in my opinion. And he was trying to get it there, so that's where I, I struggle with the arm strength on all the passes, not just the deep shots either. You got to you got to be able to touch it over the over the middle linebackers' heads, and you know, with enough pop and enough zip. And I didn't see enough of that. I know it was only four games, but I didn't see enough of it. So I'd say a five on those, especially particularly uh, the play action passes over the middle of the field.
2: And so. Then uh, for for those that ability to strike downfield with the generational talent behind him, <laughs> um, uh, where would you kind of rate his, what you have seen out of him?
1: I, I love Hubert's arm from what I saw. Again, you're only going to see picking the picking and choosing the cherry picking of the highlights. So it's hard to say we saw every throw, or I was able to see every throw of Sam Heward, but what they did show uh, there's plenty of, of, applicable throws to this offense that i really think work out in his favor give him some chance to get back to the top of his drop off of a play action and let him really put his hips and his whole shoulder into a throw with a with a you know a lead up and a wind up i think he's good to go for in this offense
2: all right well that will do it for us here on sports illustrated's husky maven channel cam thank you for coming on how can people follow you uh, very easy cam meller at twitter c-a-m-m-e-l-l-o-r for Sports Illustrated's Husky Maven channel, she's Kayla Owen. I think she's Kayla Owen. On my screen, she's Kayla Owen. Uh, I'm Mark Mike Martin. Go dogs! Go dogs!